Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios kicking off a brand new week guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music. Morning Rhino. Howdy howdy. We are back set for another week in the Element Wealth Studios looking forward to it. Those zany legislators back there under the dome making them laws. But the big news, I guess, over the weekend, one would have to agree, I believe, is the white smoke was released over the Capitol Dome out of the House of Representatives, and we got ourselves a speaker after 15 rounds, grueling rounds. And Kevin McCarthy, it is. I think it was pretty widely believed that would be the ultimate outcome. No surprise there. The question is, what next? Now, I maintain that it's a little premature to to get too exuberant, to show too much exuberance over the way in which this deal went down, which was lots of horse trading and negotiations by a number of members, about 20, most of whom, if not all, are part of the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives, and they drove a pretty pretty hard bargain there of McCarthy to finally get him pulled across the speaker line. I mean, the finish line, pardon me, to become the speaker. And, you know, while I generally agree with some of their demands, was this not the old negotiating behind closed doors sort of smoke room deal that we they generally complain about? Isn't that what they were engaged in? Pretty much. Why wasn't that done out in the open in a more transparent fashion? Because... There's some who say, we still aren't sure what all deals were cut. Members of the House I'm talking about, right? You've seen that. They're saying, we're not sure. Representative Nancy Mace, as an example, said that uh, on one of the Sunday talk shows yesterday, I'm not really sure exactly where we are on this. I think 
mainly, and, and look, and on the left, lots of pearl clutching, right? All the horror. It's anarchy. It's the end of democracy. Those Republicans, I told you we can't transfer power to them. They can't be trusted. They can't govern. No, it's messy. So, like most controversial issues, contentious issues, somewhere in the middle is the truth. And I think is where the logic lies. It is messy. It was designed to be messy. The founders intended that. So I don't have any problem with them speaking up, as they did. On the other hand, I think it's fair to say some were looking more for their fame, their media exposure. I think that's pretty clear. And that's what politics is done, and it, it brings me back once again to this assessment, which is, we've transferred too much power <laughs> to these people. That's why they're all about this, their fame <laughs> and their exposure. So the left, I think, the mainstream media, they're wrong as well. This was not like a meltdown. This was not, oh my gosh, anarchy. And this was not really anything that they tried to make it out to be. I mean, if you listen to them, there was just blood flowing in the chamber, literally. No, that's not what it was. And then I've seen folks that uh, are on the right that I think are, again, a little too enthusiastic and optimistic about what this will likely bring. At the heart of all the negotiations was the rules package. Now, that's like the first thing they got to pass, is the package that specifies the rules in carrying on business in the chamber. And there's still some question, and we'll ask Congressman Michael Guest, he's coming on the program in the next segment, there's honestly still some question as to whether or not, in its present form, that package will pass. Uh, I've seen Republicans say, I'm not so sure about some of these rules in the rules package. Uh, We shall see. Now, one of the things that... So I think this is going to be a session where the primary focus will lie in the area of fiscal sanity and spending. Having just come off this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill, which was passed into law with the aid of 18 Republicans in the U.S. Senate, what The Freedom Caucus and those who did not support McCarthy demanded, as part of the rules package, was to cap spending at 2022 levels for fiscal year 2024. So 2023 is done. 
right? The omnibus bill funds the government for the duration of fiscal year 2023, which ends September 30th, 2023. Nine months. And they got to do it all over again. Let's hope they don't wait till three days before Christmas, which is why we end up with 4,155 pages that nobody reads, and they got to vote to get out of town. Next thing you know, $1.7 trillion in the books. So, capping it, this is important to understand, I believe, capping it at 2022 levels means cutting spending in 2023, this would be for 2024, stay with me here, so in 2024, we would return to 2022 levels, which were $200 billion less than the 2023 package. That means reducing defense spending by nearly $100 billion. $100 billion. So the question is, are conservatives okay with that? Now, I happen to believe that the military should not be exempt from full audit of their spending, not just did you spend it the way we appropriated it as intended, what you requested as you budgeted, but is this necessary? I still think that's a question that needs to be addressed. All aspects of government should, right? It shouldn't just be limited to certain areas. And I only say that because, in general, including Donald Trump, you remember one of the things he boasted about is that we, we rebuilt the military. You heard him over and over and over again. And what he was referring to was he significantly increased the spending on defense. He said that Barack Obama, the word he used regularly was decimated. Barack Obama decimated our military. So they're calling for a return to 2022 levels. Now what does that do to the deficit? Well, instead of it being $1.3 trillion, it'll be $1.1, and that's assuming there's no increase in Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and debt interest. And that's not a very good assumption, because those likely will increase in 2024 relative to 2023. That's mandatory spending, which cannot be touched without 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. So that's what he's asking for. What are the things they're asking for? We'll get to, uh, but that's top of the list, uh, certainly amongst those demands. And we'll get to more of those issues as well. As we've got Congressman Michael Guest joining us after this break here on Middays, just getting started in the Element Well Studios. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Woo! Yeah. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Congressman Michael Guest. He represents Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. Morning, Congressman. Thanks for joining us this morning on Middays. Good morning, Gerard. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Well... You worked a little overtime this past week, didn't you? <laughs> well, I think we, uh, I think the taxpayers got their uh, money's worth out of all uh, the members of Congress. So we worked uh, late nights, uh, pretty much uh, all day and uh, into the wee hours of Saturday morning. But uh, after a 15-round heavyweight fight, uh, we were able to uh, select a speaker. And uh, now uh, today we will move on to the rules package and then hopefully be able to get to legislating. Yeah. Well, for those of us who are political junkies, it was it was fascinating. It was intriguing. This is just not something you typically see, obviously. Haven't seen this many votes for a speaker in a long, before long time. Before the Civil War. Yeah, so exactly. I think it's been a, over 100 years uh, before, since we had uh, actually had a, a speaker's race go to multiple votes, and it was pre-Civil War before we had a, a speaker's vote that, that went... Uh, as many as we had, which was 15. But, look, I think it was a healthy debate. You know, I think some people want, uh, particularly those in the, the mainstream media, uh, wanted to portray this as, uh, as as chaos within the Republican Party. But this was us trying to make sure that we could finalize the rules that we need to govern now that we're in the majority. And I think that we are going, as Republicans, are going to come out much stronger uh, on the other side, we're going to have a rules package, uh, which we will vote on today, uh, which I think will benefit the American public. Uh, and so while it may have taken several days to get there, uh, it's just it, it was part of the process. And we as a caucus, we as a party, and I think we as a country are going to come out stronger on the other side. Yeah, and I, and I agree, and we just were talking about that in the last segment. You're so right. The, the left-wing mainstream media was really throwing rocks at this thing and, and I think trying to push it as a much bigger conflict and, and more disarray than was uh, really occurring. It's healthy to have these kinds of debates. Uh, I'm not crazy about what appeared to be a lot of backroom negotiating that was just done without the benefit of other members of the House being involved. How do you feel about that, and am I misreading that? Well, you know, I, I, I think that you know when you've got a, a you know 220 plus Republicans, you can't bring everyone into the negotiating table. And so, what they tried to do is they tried to bring in uh, key elements uh, or, or key leaders of those individuals who uh, supported uh, McCarthy uh, and those who were holding out for, uh, for 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 changes to the rules package. Uh, and again, you know, looking at this and looking at the product that came out, you know, I, I think that that we have. Uh, a, a very aggressive rule package and a rule package that is going to help uh, Republicans and help conservatives better be able to govern. I mean, we look at the fact that now we're back to the to the rule that one person can call a motion to vacate the chair. Uh, that's been the rule up until Speaker Pelosi took over. Right. Uh, and Pelosi changed that because she didn't want her members to be able to have a vote of no confidence. 
uh, in the rule package we're going to have in there that we're going to have a 10-year balanced budget. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing if we could work toward actually getting rid of this $32 trillion in debt and, and once again balancing the budget, something that, that we've not seen uh, uh, in probably 30-plus years. Um, you know, we, We've agreed that we're going to vote on things such as the Texas border plan, uh, term limits, uh, something that, that, that I think w- w- would be a great thing for us to look at. Ending the public health emergency. Uh, we're going to vote on ending the 87,000 IRS agents. So there are things that, that we put in that rules package that, that I think that uh, our, our nation is going to be better for. And, and those, those negotiations had to happen behind closed doors. We're too big of a party, too big of a caucus for everyone to come to the table. Uh, but I think that the product uh, that we ended up with is a good product. Uh, I, everybody who, uh, you know, you ask may have said, well, I wish there would have been this change or that. Uh, but overall, the, the product is going to be ex- exceptional and is going to help us govern. Uh, how do you feel about the rules package uh, getting the necessary votes to pass and be implemented? What's your confidence level there? You know, uh, uh, I'm uh, – Confident, I, I wouldn't say that that, that I would uh, uh, bet my home that that we won't uh, uh, possibly go to a second vote uh, because we know with these tight majorities uh, it only takes uh, five members. Uh, assuming that the Democrats uh, don't support us, which we know that they won't, uh, for anything to to suffer some sort of setback. Uh, but look, we're ready to, to get to the business of the American public. I know Tony Gonzalez uh, from the state of Texas, a member that I have uh, a great respect for. Uh, he uh, has probably the largest section of southwest border of any member of Congress. I've been down to his district with him uh, as uh, he has led border tours. Uh, he has some concerns about the rules package. Uh, he feels like that, that some of the rules uh, that he uh, don't, does not agree with how far they went, uh, and he has indicated that he will vote against the rules package. Nancy uh, Nancy Mace of South Carolina uh, also has some concerns. Uh, I've heard of no other members uh, who are considering voting against the rules package. So even if you lose both of those votes, uh, you still have yeah. uh, a little room to spare. Uh, but I think we all understand that how important it is, just as it was important to get the Speaker elected, it's important to get the rules package passed so that we can start bringing legislation to the floor uh, and that committees can begin to to very quickly begin to meet and conduct oversight. Yeah, and I I hope so, because I think uh, the American people are are tired of watching all the wrangling, all the the conflict and confrontation, and ready for the House to get down to business. Now, Speaker McCarthy made clear shortly after he took the gavel – that his first bill is going that he wants to see put on the floor is one that will repeal funding for 87,000 new IRS agents. I think that's likely to pass with Republicans controlling the House. Your thoughts? Uh, I think I think no doubt. Uh, I think we will not lose a single Republican vote uh, on that bill. Uh, we also want to very quickly get legislation onto the floor that would prohibit oil sales to China. Uh, yeah. We saw that when our strategic oil reserve was opened up, some of those reserves 
were actually sold to China. Uh, we think that, that those both pieces of those legislations should be bipartisan. Now, whether we'll get any Democrats to support that or not remains to be seen, uh, but those are two pieces of legislation that we will be able to get to the floor and, and, and get passed. Uh, and also, uh, if, if we're able to take up this week the Texas border plan, uh, I believe that we will also get that off the House floor and send that legislation to the Senate this week. My concern, uh, Congressman, to that point is that we have uh, re- Republicans have control. The numbers in the House obviously don't have it in the Senate, and many of these issues would require, in fact, overcoming the filibuster, which means you got to have 60 votes for cloture in the Senate. The likelihood of any of this getting enacted into laws is fairly low. My concern is that, uh, once again, constituents uh, are thinking that a lot of stuff's going to get done, they'd like to see done, but it's you still have a big hurdle. That's right. You know, I mean, uh, while we will be able to get uh, much of our, our legislation uh, out of the House, uh, you're going to run into a roadblock in the Senate. The Senate is controlled by Democrats, and you're right, even if you were to get a majority, uh, you still have to then uh, overcome a filibuster. So if you had all 49 Republican senators on board, you've got to get a minimum of 11 Democrats to advance legislation to debate and to a vote. Uh, and then you also uh, have the possibility of a Democrat who's in the White House who would veto the legislation. Right. And so uh, I think one of the things that we have to be prepared to do uh, as, um, uh, as, as a House body uh, is to use the power of the purse. Uh, revenue bills uh, have to begin here in the House. We've got to use the power of the purse uh, to be able to force some of these changes. And so while we may pass a bill uh, this week that would uh, defund the 87,000 IRS agents, uh, that may be something that uh, we don't uh, that, that, that we later put in additional budgetary reg- uh, mm-hmm. uh, budgetary budgetary legislation uh, to try to enforce, and, and so I think the, this rule package also helps us in that uh, in the fact that you know if, if we're looking at passing a CR, we all hate CRs, continuing yeah. resolutions in the House. Those are only going to be passed at ninety eight percent funding levels, and so that means that every agency would have a two percent cut. Yeah, those are good things to get our physical House back in order, and then we use that to enforce things such as this 87,000 IRS agents defunding. we got a break right here. Let's continue this discussion with Congressman Michael Guest after the break. Appreciate you joining us this morning. We'll be right back. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We've got Congressman Michael Guest on the line with us. Uh, so, Congressman, we should also point out that today is Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. I know that uh, you are a, a staunch supporter of those who serve in law enforcement, as are we as well. And so we just want to extend our gratitude to them on this day and and uh, just wanted to remind you of that I, I know you do the same. Well, and, and I hope that uh, your listening audience will just uh, remember, you know, uh, all the sacrifices uh, our law enforcement officers make every day for us. Uh, yeah. They have an incredibly difficult job. Uh, they routinely uh, risk their lives every day, uh, not knowing uh, when they put that uniform on each day is if they'll come home to their family. Uh, and we need to thank them for the, the service uh, that they provide our communities. And so uh, I know that you uh, and many of your listeners feel the same way about law enforcement. I do. They are our unsung heroes. Uh, and I hope today that we will remember them for uh, their sacrifice uh, and their dedication and commitment to their community. Absolutely. So. Just uh, continuing our discussion about some of the legislative matters that the Freedom Caucus, in particular, and we should point out, it's not just them. The, these issues that they that they uh, negotiated for in the rules package and just in the in legislative agenda in general, you and many others support these as, as well. And so does Kevin McCarthy. I think they were just looking for a, a little bit more beef and a little bit more of a commitment out of Kevin McCarthy as part of being Speaker to ensure that these things would see the light of day and be deliberated and hopefully get, get an up-down vote on, even if we don't think we can get them into law. That's right. You know, as uh, all conservatives should be extremely proud of this rules package. And so uh, this is not a rules package that, that pits the, the Freedom Caucus against uh, other members uh, of uh, the Republican Party. Uh, this is something that, that we all agree on. I mean, I, I think when you start looking at, at things such as, you know, the fact that the Congressional Budget Office is now going to provide us an inflationary impact on legislation. I mean, that is great. We've seen runaway inflation caused by government spending uh, and for us to put that rule and requirement a very common sense rule and requirement into place uh, that's going to benefit the american people to do something such as to say that if there's going to be any attempt uh, by anyone to raise taxes it's going to require a three-fifths majority 60 percent of the members yes. uh, of, of, the, of the house would have to vote to support that uh, the holman rule which would allow us uh, as congress to come in and to defund certain accounts within agencies and even able to defund positions. Those are things which we are going to be able to use as a Republican conference to hold the majority accountable, to hold the administration accountable, uh, and to be able to make sure that, that we have the ability to change the nation, uh, to change the direction of the nation, which is what we were elected to do. And so this is a win for conservatives, and I want everyone to know that. Uh, and I think that this is something that we are going to be much stronger and we are going to be able to do the job that we were elected to do with this rules package in place. It feels like, Congressman, that what was driving much of this debate and why I believe that these 20 members were, were so dug in on this is because of how the chamber has been run under Nancy Pelosi. Because everything you just talked about, 
didn't occur. Uh, there was there was she controlled every bill that made it to the floor. There was no debate. There were no opportunities for amendments to be offered. I know you told me several times when I'd ask you just one on one, are you getting to participate in any of this? And you said no. She blocks us all out of everything. You know, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, rank-and-file members, including myself, have been very frustrated over the last four years with the way that the House has been run. Uh, the House has been run as a dictatorship. Uh, everything has to go through Nancy Pelosi. She limits uh, amendments on the floor. She does not require bills to go through committees where committees can actually mark the bills up and, and, and make changes. Uh, many times we're just given the ability to, uh, for an up-and-down vote. You know, I think of the $1.7 trillion dollar spending package it came over right before christmas you know that bill was negotiated uh in the senate uh the bill was then drafted a four thousand plus page bill was drafted uh in the senate uh even though uh that should have been uh, that process should have begun in the House. In the, House. Uh, the bill was then passed out of the Senate, sent over to the House. Uh, we weren't able to offer any amendments. We weren't able to offer any changes. Uh, we just had to have an up or down vote mm-hmm. on a bill that we had no none of the process in drafting the legislation. That's not how Washington mm-hmm. D.C. should work. Washington <laughs> D.C. should not be driven from the top down, but from the bottom up. And this rule package is going to allow that. It's going to prevent something like that from happening again it's going to allow us to actually go on the floor and offer amendments it's going to have us allow rank and file members like myself to have greater input and not just be forced to vote up and down but forced but given up giving us the opportunity to change legislation and make it better before it's voted on and so this is going i think really to create something that we've not seen in the house of representatives at, at least since i've been here we're going to see the House run entirely differently than it's been under the last four years under the rule of Nancy Pelosi. Effectively, the Nancy Pelosi House of Representatives. The whole country had one rep. It was Nancy Pelosi. She pretty much neutralized everybody else except uh, her most uh, loyal advocates, I guess. And there, and there's another thing that uh, is being sought here is, is a permanent bill to prohibit taxpayer funded abortions explain the Hyde Amendment to folks because we we actually have to include that amendment in every package. Yeah, every year as we are negotiating spending, uh, something that has been attached uh, every year for a number of years now, probably 20-plus, has been the Hyde Amendment. And the Hyde Amendment just says that uh, the federal government, uh, there shall be no federal funds spent on uh, abortion. So, again, uh, as as you explained it, no taxpayer-funded abortion. Uh, but uh, each year that amendment expires. And so uh, we have to continue each and every year negotiating to keep that in. Uh, and so what we hope to do is legislatively uh, pass legislation that, that I think that the American people agree with, which is that the federal government shall not pay for any abortion. Uh, abortion, we now know, uh, has been passed down to the states. Each state can be able to make whatever restrictions, reasonable restrictions that they want to put on the protection of life. And, and I believe that, that 
taxpayer dollars should never be used uh, in any instance whatsoever to pay for an abortion. And right. that's all we're asking, a very simple bill uh, that would prohibit that. And so we're not having to continue year after year to fight and argue with the Democrats over whether the Hyde Amendment should be included. It will be legislatively mandated. Uh, that issue will be put to rest uh, and short of a subsequent Congress coming in and passing legislation to change that, uh, that, that, that will not be a question and will not be an issue of debate going forward. President Biden heads down to the border, but I don't really think that uh, folks are <laughs> in his orbit are making sure he sees the real situation down there. You know, it, it does appear that uh, he saw a very sanitized border, that there was an effort made uh, to clean things up before he got there. I think even government, Governor Abbott told him that, uh, that what you're seeing is not the real picture. You know, it's a shame that it has taken him now two years uh, to make a, a trip to the border. Uh, we've seen that uh, the number of border crossings in this physical year has uh, already broken records uh, and will continue to do so. This administration has done nothing to secure the border. They've offered nothing but excuses. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas has done a terrible job uh, in hearings before Congress. Uh, he has repeatedly told Congress and the American people that the border is secure, uh, that we have operational control, uh, and the numbers don't bear that out. Uh, in talking with the, the rank-and-file law enforcement officers at CBP who were there uh, on the front lines, uh, they, they will tell you the exact opposite of what Secretary Mayorkas is telling the American public. And so while I'm glad that he finally decided it was important enough for him to make a trip to the border, uh, I still don't think he grasped uh, yeah. just what a crisis that we, we have on our southwest border. Do you think we'll see a Republican-led effort to either impeach Mayorkas or defund his agency and, until he runs it in accordance with law? I do. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, the Homeland Security uh, Committee will be taking up very quickly once that committee is reconstituted uh, is uh, investigating uh, Secretary Mayorkas and those top lieutenants at the Department of Homeland Security for the job that they've done. Uh, they've gotten a pass for the last two years. There have been no real investigations, no real attempt to hold the administration accountable, yeah. and they're going to see a very different Congress led by Republicans uh, and and I do believe that there will be an effort uh, to uh, defund uh, certain uh, uh, parts of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and depending upon where that investigation leads, uh, there may very well be an attempt uh, to impeach Secretary Mayorkas for his complete I, failure of duty that we've seen under his watch. I look forward to that. I, it, it's just ridiculous how he's just defying and, and uh, just completely... Um, dereliction of duty, honestly, Congressman. We appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for all your efforts on behalf of the 3rd District of Mississippi uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Gerard. Look forward to seeing you when I'm back home. You got it. We'll come right back with more here on Middays. We've got Representative Fred Shanks in the studio at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays with the Eagles bumping us into this 
segment. Great tune there, Rhino. Appreciate that. Never gets all good classic music like that. Transcends the generations, as they say. Appreciate Congressman Michael Guest uh, joining us on Middays, sharing his insights. You folks may have seen that one of the members of the House got a little close to, to Matt Gates, lunged at him a bit, had to be restrained. Gates sitting down in the chamber, three or four seats into a row, and I believe it was Mike Rogers, if I'm not mistaken, Congressman Mike Rogers, that this was, what, between the 14th and the 15th, the final vote? Not happy, because the word at that point was, even Gates said it. I voted present in the final two rounds because I didn't have anything left to ask for. That's him. That's Those are his words. I'm not quoting it directly. But what he said was, yeah, there's nothing left. So, okay, why did you vote present in the 14th round instead of for McCarthy? And at that point, that would have secured it for McCarthy. Okay? And... That was the word after they came out of negotiations. So he votes present, and Rogers doesn't take too kindly to it. It had to be restrained. Did you see Congressman Trent Kelly sort of, I think, standing in as General Trent Kelly at that point? You're laughing. You saw it. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the pictures of it remind me of the, the joke. It's an old joke now at this point, but... The accidental Renaissance painting. <laughs> yeah. Where if you look at any Renaissance painting in any museum anywhere, anywhere online, you have this just throng of people <laughs> gesticulating in, in weird ways that seem to line up. With, and that's what all the pictures of this incident look like. It, uh, I agree. So Rogers, by the way, has... They've publicly resolved their differences. It is being reported... And Rogers has apologized. Gates also said that he totally forgives him and shouldn't face any punishment or reprisal just because he had an animated moment. Well, okay, that's that's good to see. Good to hear. Of course, the left-wing media going nuts over that. Just exaggerating it. Not that they ever do that, of course. No. <laughs> going crazy over it. But true, Gates said, yeah, I voted present because I got, well, everything I wanted at this point. In the 14th round, the reason Gates's vote would have pushed McCarthy uh, to the number necessary to secure the chair is because of the six holdouts, uh, all but two, all but two, Okay, four voted for someone else. And just to clarify, folks, what the rules say is that in order to win the speakership, one has to, to receive a number of votes, a majority of the number of votes for a person, a name, I think is literally what the rule says. So voting present takes those votes out of the equation. In the 15th round, 
those four who voted for someone other than McCarthy voted present, a total of six. Now, between the 14th and 15th, the, the drama was whether or not they're going to adjourn, because a motion was made to adjourn, and they're tallying the votes. And uh, the vote carries to adjourn. McCarthy goes and has a talk with Gates, who decides that he's willing to vote against adjournment. So there's a period of time, it's my understanding, after which the votes are cast, where a member can change their vote. So if you recall, watching that unfold, it was fascinating on television, McCarthy runs back up with Gates to the chair and says, look, look, we got the votes to stay in session. And sure enough, because they reversed the votes. And then they retook it in the 15th. You got six present votes. And McCarthy becomes the speaker. That literally is what happened. I mean, it's historical and it's fascinating. Now, I will say this. I was a little disturbed by what I thought was over-exuberance on the part of McCarthy having won, like with the gavel in the air and clenching his fist. Like, And that's, again, is when I start scratching my head and thinking, have we conferred too much power here? But now Chip Roy said yesterday on the Sunday shows that, well, what we did here in all these negotiations and with the rules package, we've made the speaker ship more one of a ceremonial position as opposed to an authoritarian position. So what he said. That's what Chip Roy, Representative Chip Roy, one of the detractors, by the way. But we're stepping aside for a break. Who ultimately did vote for McCarthy? Stepping aside for a break, Representative Fred Shanks is next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Well Studios, kicking off a brand new week. Joining us now, Representative Fred Shanks. He uh, serves the good people of Rankin County and Mississippi's House of Representatives. Good to see you there, Representative Shanks. Glad to be here, Gerard. Yes, sir. I just want to uh, pass on this as well, Rhino. The vote on the rules package is scheduled at 5 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. House today. 5 p.m. So, should be some drama possibly unfolding there. <laughs> Speaking of drama, what about down there under the dome, just a few miles south of here at the Mississippi State Capitol? Well, not quite as uh, crazy <laughs> as what we've seen. Of course, I, I know your listeners listened to the congressman uh, last segment. At it's not quite been that way. Uh, in fact, a lot of talk that we've had is about what is going on yeah. in D.C. So, yeah. uh, you know, real interesting there. And in fact, I, I spoke to, of course, one of our mutual friends, uh, former Ways and Means Chairman Jeff Smith, and I think when he ran for speaker, 
Uh, I think it was a three-vote round. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just say three votes. Yeah, it was, was a big a, deal. Yeah, big deal at the time. <laughs> and now we're what, what a you know fifteen or or whatever it ended up being. Yeah. So, all right. So what's on tap for you're still chair of the Constitution correct. Committee, correct? Correct. Yeah. I uh, recall that from last year. The big thing was the citizen ballot initiative. Correct. Uh, you know, we've still had talks uh, on the Senate side. So uh, you know, I feel good about it. I, I think we're gonna uh, come on get some common ground and uh, move forward with it. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot, lot of talk about it, a lot of buzz. And I wanted to clarify this because we had Lieutenant Governor Hoseman on the program yesterday, and it was a little bit of confusion, Rhino, about the the uh, signature threshold, the di- distinction between the House and the Senate. The bill that passed mm-hmm. the House was that came out of your committee correct. was consistent with what currently exists in our Constitution, correct. which is 12% of the ballots cast in the last gubernatorial election. That's correct. It, it ends up being around 106,000, and uh, the House position was to keep it the same. Yeah. And the Senate, on the other hand, opted for a higher threshold, and I, I couldn't put my hands on it last week, Rhino, but I did a little research on that. It turns out what they wanted was 12% of the registered voters, which would put that figure somewhere around 200,000 almost double yeah, what the it, house wanted. Yeah, it, it start the in the start of the talks that's what it was. It was over 200,000. Yeah. And we just uh we just couldn't couldn't come to an agreement on that and uh but like I said I, I feel positive about it now. I I think we'll be able to uh get somewhere. I I want to stay as close as possible to what we have. Yeah. So I'm planning on that. Yeah. But we'll see. And the uh, the rationale from the lieutenant governor was that well this would this would make the bar higher for big money out of staters that wanted to come in here and push some sort of uh, measure through that process some some initiative through that process and this would be a deterrent but it seems to me like that would deter just good folks in Mississippi that did want to get behind uh, some effort that would make that more expensive and just more difficult to achieve. Uh, it's really a catch-22. He he does have a point. I, if, uh, you know, a big corporation like, say, Walmart wanted yeah. to come in, I mean, they could they could easily get 100,000 signatures. Uh, they could have signature gatherers at every Walmart in the state. They could get that in a weekend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he does have a point, but as far as your grassroots citizen um, – how it is currently with 106,000 people, roughly, I mean, that number's hard to get. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. that's costs a lot of money. Takes oh, a lot of time, a oh, yeah. lot yeah. of money. That's that's the name of the game. You don't just throw an idea out there and say, well, I'm going to go get 106,000 signatures. And they have to be divided across the state uh, evenly, Correct. relatively, with the congressional districts. That's what got us in trouble with the Initiative 65. The, Constitution says five, and we only have four. Correct, and in the language had never been changed. Yeah, uh, but you know, you're right. The uh, I think medical marijuana. I think that costs two million dollars. Yeah, to get a hundred thousand signatures. Yeah, so it, it's a money game. It, it definitely is. So, anything else that uh, you see popping up in your committee? You guys will be taking up? Not in my committee. That that'd be the only thing we do. Okay. Um, I have had a meeting we had a, a corrections hearing about recidivism so I, I know that we're going to be taking some different measures up we've had a meeting with uh, commissioner burl kane who i'm a big fan of yeah they've really been doing a doing a lot in a short amount of time with mdoc so i'm yeah. real proud of those guys and uh so we're, we're trying to figure out the best way to get the inmates 
back to their family, nonviolent inmates, yeah. but back to their family with a skill that they've learned and get them a job well, and start contributing. He's got lots of great ideas there, and he's a big proponent of that, and he understands that his job is more than just locking people up for, to, for right. them to serve their time and then send them, them back out into society where they end up doing the same thing. That's right. I, I spoke with him um, a little while back, and he told me that he allows every inmate in the system to write him letters, and he answers them. He reads every one of them, and he told me, he said, Fred, I know everything that goes on. Yeah. That's, that's smart. Yeah. Smart business. Yeah, he sure does. All right, what else you here and around the Capitol that uh, is going to be coming up in this session? Well, the the big the big one is going to be the full elimination of the of the income tax. Yeah, and uh, I think we're going to get there. You do? I, I really do. I, it's been a big push of Speaker Gunn, and uh, you know we we started on it last session, and and I think we'll I think we'll get there. Well, I think everything's lining up. The speaker made it clear on the program last week. It still remains his top priority. That's to right. Get that done. That's right. Um, you know, he obviously wants to go out on top, and and I think yeah. that's uh, that's very doable, and I think I think we're going to get there. Yeah, he, uh, I, I was a little surprised to hear that uh, he's very invigorated as he was in the last yep. session, and and though I think we got a good, you've heard me call it a down payment on full elimination. He's pretty convinced that uh, he can get that done, and he's going to push for it big time. You think you've got the support in the chamber there? I do. I do. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he called us in and kind of told us of his plans for next term, right? Uh, you know, generally in an election year, you don't do a whole lot yeah. in session, but uh, this is going to be just like last year. I yeah. think we're going to have a huge session, get a lot of things you done. You do? Okay. I do. Do you think that the qualifying date being February 1 will change that dynamic somewhat? That was That was actually the rationale for it, was it not, to kind of get that out of the way? Yeah, um, I really can't say. I mean, I I think we're gonna you know keep trucking you know regardless. Yeah. So, but it, it sure does quicken things up. Yeah. Well, uh, last session a number of high profile issues that uh, were addressed. This this session, the elimination of the income tax seems to be top of mind again. Uh, a repeal of the certificate of need laws. You know that's going to oh, probably yeah. come up again. Medicaid expansion likely will come up <laughs> uh, again. We'll see uh, certainly where that goes. I know the lieutenant governor is pushing for uh, year-round K through 12 school. Yeah, I've been hearing about a little bit about that, and you know it's created some buzz. But uh, I don't know all the particulars on that one just yet. But yeah. Uh, it's certainly gotten brought up. I, I hope it's not a situation where it's mandated of all districts by the state at the state level. I think that decision ought to ought to rest with the individual school districts. I would I would tend to agree right now, and uh, I have not spoken to my district about it just yet. Kind of okay. get their thoughts on it, but that's coming. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, that's on the way. Uh, what about our, our fiscal condition, our financial condition seems to be quite strong. The Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor on the program last week uh, both touted that, mm -hmm. uh, feeling that the uh, Republican-held uh, government has, has really been very responsible with respect to spending and filled up the rainy day fund, produced these surpluses. So we're in good shape there. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget the lottery. And the lottery, lottery. of course, is producing uh, good funds for the uh, state highway fund, the education enhancement fund as well. That's been in operation now uh, three years. That's right. So, uh, you know, the conservative leadership we've had for the last 12 years is really coming out. I yeah. mean, we've 
like you said, we're in excellent financial shape, and it's just one thing we don't have to uh, be concerned about right at the moment, so we can focus on some other things. Not borrowing money, which is a good thing as well. Yeah. Speaking of election year, you running for re-election? I'm going to run for re-election, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I absolutely love this job. I would go year-round if I could. Uh, I do work hard in the off-season helping people. And uh, the <clears throat> myself and the other Rankin County delegates, we all went and uh, qualified together. It's kind yeah. of a little thing we yeah, do. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, pretty neat. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And that has been – that's probably been the biggest buzz uh, <clears throat> at the Capitol is, you know, who's qualifying, who's running for what, who has opponents, you know, who's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the, the big talk. Any, uh, any surprises? I saw where Representative Dana Criswell – has announced he's not going to run. Correct. I, I, I think he set a kind of a term limit for himself, and yeah, uh, yeah he's not coming back. So yeah, and I think a couple other ones are are doing the same, kind of on the north end of the state. That's what the the buzz is for sure. But we'll see where all that shakes out. The good news is we're going to know in about three weeks. <laughs> That's right. That's right. right. We, we don't have to wait very long. Who knows <laughs> coming in? Well, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, look forward to a productive and fruitful session. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thank you, Gerard. Representative Fred Shanks from Rankin County has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, so there are some members of the uh, U.S. House that are, in fact, concerned about these cuts to the military. Because what I can tell here is I, I thought that the 20 returning to the 2022 levels budget levels only applied to 24 what I'm seeing here apparently they want that to apply for the next 10 years which is honestly you're not going to get rid of the deficit when you when you're running 25% deficits you can't get rid of those with a surgical knife. You need a chainsaw. And that is causing some concern by some members who say that, no, we're not really on board with uh, those sort of deep cuts to the military. Representative Nancy Mace is one of those who said that. Also, um, Representative Gonzalez as well. They've all chimed in and said, in fact, Gonzalez said yesterday on CBS's Face the Nation, this has 
a proposed billions of dollars cut to defense, which I think is a horrible idea. Interesting. So this is setting up to be quite the battle, and that's great. Let the members deliberate this. When's the last time you saw any debate on the House floor? It just doesn't happen. Everything's just rammed through by Pelosi. That's what we've been used to. And so I do feel like there's been some pent-up frustration. And I I think it all culminated in uh, this negotiating back and forth between some members and Kevin McCarthy. And I think that's perfectly fine. I just caution folks out there who believe, wow, things are changing. We, uh, we got our way. We got what we wanted. The conservatives got the, the voice they finally needed, and they got the concessions that they wanted to ensure that their agenda is taken up. I just caution folks, and I make this prediction here, Rhino, two years from now, we gave you the control, you didn't do anything. That's what you're going to hear. You know that's what you're going to hear. Oh, yeah. Because nothing can get passed. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, for example, requiring 72 hours once a bill is released before a vote's taken, that's a good idea as are some of these others. I'm just cautioning that these these concessions will change procedure and just the way business is conducted more than they will produce benefits for the American people. You're not going to get... I don't think you're going to get a term limits bill passed. That ain't going to happen. And the same old thing here is you got, to some extent, I think these members that are posturing these as promises. We're going to get term limits. That's the way it's interpreted when they see by, the I think, the general public. You said we're getting term limits. No, not really. I just said we're going to get a bill to do so. I can't help it. It didn't pass. And that's what's going to happen in two years. All this stuff is... It's going to get taken up, I believe, unless McCarthy breaches his promise, and I don't really think that'll happen, because only one member takes to stand up and call for a force a snap vote on the spot, in the chamber, of a vote of confidence. I think technically, according to the rules of order, you have the motion, and you still got to have a second. Yeah, it's that's right. It's it's got to so go. It would it's take just two. a mo. It, but it takes right. It but it doesn't take the five as it did under Pelosi. And by the way, this is returning to the rule that Thomas Jefferson envisioned, the Jeffersonian rule, I believe it is referred to. He is credited for that. But that's back when it really was the House of Representatives charged with making the laws. The Senate was supposed to be more there for counsel. Because remember, senators were put in those positions and those seats by state legislatures, not the people, originally. That was the design. And the idea that this omnibus bill came from the Senate, like Congressman Michael Guest was discussing, over to the House, that's just upside down. It's not the way it's supposed to work. So, returning to 
Regular order is what we got to do. Now, Jim Jordan did say, we want to root out woke policies dealing with transgender recruits and racial bias and white supremacy and privilege walks and all that nonsense in the military. I totally agree. And I think it is completely appropriate for the Congress to say, hey, Pentagon, we ain't giving you any money until you return to what your mission is, focusing on what your mission is, which is to keep the bad guys from blowing us up and killing the enemy. That's really what you're in business for. Not to uh, talk about and, and promote uh, these policies that allow members of the military to get gender affirmation surgery and placing that at the top of your priority list and requiring the cadets of West Point to identify their privilege. No, that's not what you should be doing. And promoting based on physical attributes as opposed to merit. I'm all for that. And, and Jim Jordan is right. And holding the purse over their heads to change those ridiculous policies and, and rid those from the military, I think it's completely appropriate. I just, again, caution, even though the first bill that's going to go to the floor is, according to what McCarthy's saying, is defunding the 87,000 IRS agents, which was provided for from a funding perspective in the Inflation Reduction Act, that's likely to pass the House. It's DOA in the Senate. It ain't going to happen. Now, do we get some votes on the record? Certainly in the House. But I bet you it's all Republicans are for it. And I think this will be totally partisan. I don't know that you'll have any defectors. But. I'll give you a dark horse, a dark horse to, to look out for. The only thing I can see the Democrats getting on board with as far as cutting spending is putting teeth in the audit the Pentagon law. True. Where if they can't pass an audit, they get 1% automatically deducted from their budget. Simply because I say that's a dark horse because the proponent for it was Bernie Sanders. That is absolutely true. So, yeah, it would be nice if the Pentagon could even come close to passing an audit. Which is ridiculous unto itself. I mean, I think the last one they were able to account for less than 40% of $3.5 trillion worth of stuff. That is exactly right. There's some $2 trillion of which they cannot properly account for. That is, that is ridiculous. Yet, the Senate... Again, with the assistance of 14, pardon me, 18 Republicans, which unfortunately included our Senator Wicker, just gave them more money. Nearly $100 billion. Which is, just makes no sense to me. And if you look through the omnibus bill at uh, what all those additional funds are to be used for, It'll hurt your head reading that, honestly. It's a bunch of military gobbledygook when you start getting into all these weapon systems and so forth. I dare say that the members of Congress really don't have a clue what the heck those guys are talking about, about as much as they do when the big tech executives go to the Hill and start discussing big tech. Now, that doesn't make them bad people, but it just means... Maybe you ought to get a little more educated before you just say, well, okay, here's another $100 billion. 
Uh, doesn't seem like the way to uh, conduct business, in my view. On the ceasefire text line, Mike in Gulfport said, shouldn't they ask for a lower budget number knowing that it will end up with what is some form of negotiations, negotiations in all caps. If you can call it that, seems more like strong-arm robbery most times. And just keep in mind that our budget process in this country at the federal level and for the most part at the state level is what's called baseline budgeting. You start with last year's budget, the prior year's budget, and you start adjusting that typically up. What we should do is return to zero-based budgeting. I would have liked to have seen that, honestly, in the rules package. And that just means you start at zero, and you build a budget case for what do you really need and what is in the best interest and provides the best value to the taxpayers to run these agencies. But no, we start with last year, and we go from there. That's why we got $31 trillion of debt. There's one more important piece of legislation they left off their list I'll talk about when we return. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's a brand new week here on Midday Super Talk Mississippi down at Mississippi Blood Services tomorrow in Flowood at the main headquarters. Looking forward to that remote. Gary from Tishomingo says, Thing is, three-fourths of people listen to the fake media. I can't even get my family members to tune in to Newsmax. Fake media should be held to report actual news. I would take a anything from Newsmax with a grain of salt as well. Yeah, I'd be careful with that. I, and I'll I'll discuss something along those lines to your point there, Rhino. In a second, going to go through a couple of more texts. Ken in West Point says, "Present should not be allowed. They are paid to make a decision, yes or no." That would certainly change the dynamics quite a bit in lawmaking at all levels of government and decision-making, policy-making in all levels of government. Uh, we wouldn't have a speaker today, right now, if that were the case. I'm not sure we'd ever get one without the option to vote present. We just keep having votes. Unending. So it's, it's an opportunity for a member to not cast a vote if they don't, I guess, totally support whatever the is being voted on, but they're not going to stand in the way, so to speak. And, and it's possible you could argue that they don't want to be on the record. And I would say there, Ken, that their constituents should hold them accountable. If, they're, if they feel as you do, they should go to their member of the uh, of Congress, in this case of the House, and say, not happy about you voting present. Do your job. I'm not voting for you again. See how many feel the same way and if that would influence them in future votes. 
Ben from Madison says, Fred Shanks is the man. I appreciate him standing up for the citizens. I shared that with him, Ben. Appreciate that before he got out of here. And uh, there's somebody else that said that they should uh, not be allowed to vote present. Who was that, Rhino? You see that? I don't see it, but we'll find it. I remember when Representative Trey Gowdy gave the speech about the military and made the point that the military is not an equal opportunity employer. I think he's spot on. That's on the ceasefire text line. Problem is, the enemy has infiltrated the government, says Carol in Starkville. And the problem with that, uh, Carol, is that I think I have a pretty good idea of who you would consider to be the enemy. And those people, as well, would consider folks on the opposite side of the aisle or the opposite side of government philosophy to be the enemy. And, and, and that's the, the fundamental issue is both sides, if you could agree that there are two sides, point to the other as ending democracy. <laughs> There's certainly no consensus. It goes back to we can't decide on how many genders there are. So that's an issue. Uh, Philip in Brookhaven, he's another one that said they should be required to vote one way or the other. If they are present, they are getting paid to make decisions, not to be bystanders. And I think they would tell you they made the decision to vote present. That's... They felt like was in their best interest and in the best interest of their constituents. Again, I say, if you're not happy about that, we don't have that issue here in Mississippi because all four of our representatives voted for a person in each round. Nobody voted present, abstained, if you will, and they were all present to cast a vote as long as the hours were. Of course, Congressman Benny Thompson voted for Hakeem Jeffries, who, by the way, garnered every single Democrat vote in every single round. He did also make a rather impassioned speech once the 15th round was over, which uh, pushed Kevin McCarthy into the speakership. And, of course, racism. I had to talk about that. It's just every, everything. Racialized, sexualized. Racism. He made a speech that I thought, honestly, was totally inappropriate. We may even have a little sound here, Rhino has, that pretty much pointed fingers and demeaned and denounced Republicans, their agenda, and really made fun of it, made a mockery, I thought, of the current situation in this country with respect to the conflict in philosophy, government philosophy. Do you want to talk about one critical... You got it? See if we can get it here. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, 
governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. I like the zenial over xenophobia. <laughs> there you go, the entire alphabet. That's what Hakeem Jeffries used, the alphabet, to describe what he perceives to be the difference in the parties and their philosophy. There you go. He's so, also full of it. Yeah, but. totally. But like I said, so we on the right, we would say he's full of it. I agree, totally. They think we are, and therein lies the rub. So the one big-time Price Wallace representative said, so he knows the ABCs. <laughs> That's right, Price. Congratulations to Hakeem Jeffries. Was that appropriate at that time, though, to me? It just didn't seem like it. They'd freak out if a Republican stood up and did that after Nancy Pelosi were handed the gavel. The one critically needed piece of legislation, and I'm going to keep harping on this, that, that uh, was omitted from the list, absent from the list, is making permanent the Trump tax cuts. I've discussed this before. They expire in 2025, the individual provisions. Your taxes are going up, folks. In tax year 2026, if something isn't done. Now... The Democrats are going to push for lowering taxes on the lower income brackets and dramatically increasing taxes on the higher income brackets. It's going to be your chance to truly show your conservatism from an economic policy perspective. If it means the Republicans say, Let's extend the Trump tax cuts, everything stays the same, and the Democrats say, no, let's cut taxes for everybody making less than $400,000, as an example. I don't know what the cutoff would be. Let's big-time raise them on everybody else above that level. Where do you stand? Where are you going to stand? They know how to buy the votes. So you'll get the squishy independents that'll say, yeah, Democrats want to lower my taxes and make those rich people pay more. Yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. The other thing I wanted to point out, you're talking about Newsmax, Rhino. There's a list of bullet points going around from the right about, hey, this is what we're going to get. This is what was negotiated. It's totally wrong. It says, overhauling Social Security, Medicare, and other politically sensitive settlement entitlement programs. The only thing that's been discussed, and it wasn't from these 20, and it didn't make it into the final list of demands, 
was raising the retirement, the eligibility age for those programs. I discussed it the other day, and that's found in a Republican study committee budget, a proposed budget that wasn't signed off on by the whole Freedom Caucus. In fact, Representative Trent Kelly signed off on it. It was just a handful of Republicans that sponsored it. Trying once again to repeal the Affordable Care Act? No, that's not in the list. Repealing the estate tax? No, that's not on the list. Boosting defense spending? No, that's not on the list. In fact, just the opposite. They call for, you see the problem here? These are right-wing people that are putting this stuff all over social media, and it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And people believe this crap. Coming right back, final segment. Everybody's doing the mess around. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Final segment, and then Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors. Jeff in Grenada says, Why do politicians think you can pick a cutoff like 400000 Huge difference between 400000 salary in Mississippi versus New York. Mississippi, example, would have infinitely more disposable income, apples and oranges. Well, not infinitely more, infinitely more disposable income because the federal taxes on 400000 would be applied the same in Mississippi as in New York, state taxes would certainly be dif- different, and your state tax burden overall would be higher in New York. But that's when you pick up move to a different state, Jeff. Uh, in accordance with the Constitution, you cannot uh, levy federal taxes differently across the 50 states. It has to be consistent. Yeah, but you also got to consider cost of living. Yeah, it's the cost of living. I mean, four hundred thousand a year in Silicon Valley, you'll have a small apartment, a if you're lucky, a a, <laughs> a reasonable ride that's not going to be anywhere near new. Right. Whereas four hundred thousand cost of living in say Tupelo, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. You probably drive a Cadillac. You probably got a four bedroom house. I totally agree. But I can speak certainly from experience, you know, in our industry, the pay for similar jobs was generally higher, although we found ourselves, because we were recruiting all over the country, we were having to pay California wages, New York wages, to get people in Mississippi, even though, as you said, the cost of living, and we try to go through that math exercise with them, and it, honestly, it just didn't work. You just had to hit the hip and pay the same wages. So it, it became consistent across the country. But from a tax perspective, the Constitution does not allow uh, different forms of taxation by state. It has to be uh, applied consistently. Stephen Starkville wants to know, where can we get the real truth news? Other than your show, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a good question. And I don't know how to answer that. I I know what I do is I, I filter through, and uh, surely I know most folks aren't aren't going to spend the time to do this. I, I do it for the show. I filter through a number of different news sources and and media outlets that I, I feel like are reputable, and I cross check those. And often then I go look at government sources, 
Um, and, and I feel like that the official government data, I certainly haven't seen anybody object, and I'm talking mainly about economic, financial data, etc. I, I go to, for example, uh, the White House website. You may not be aware, folks, but Joe Biden is on the cusp of introducing 2,651 new regulations. And that is, is actually detailed on the White House website. There is a, uh, a name assigned to that, the Unified Regulatory Agenda from the Office of Management Budget, as an example. So I dig into that. Go look at actual bills. And, and I get it. People don't want to spend the time to do that and shouldn't have to. They should be able to rely on media outlets. And that's what we try to do here. I, I'll give you a couple of other examples Is uh, in, in this right-wing list of concessions th that are being reported and widely distributed. Get this one, Rhino. Cutting the top corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%. That happened in 2017, you idiots! It went from 35 to 21! That's what it is today! When I saw that, I knew, well, this is BS. As soon as I saw that one bullet, this is done by somebody who doesn't have a clue. And honestly, I'm embarrassed at some of the people that are sharing this and buying into this. How could they not know? Yeah, rule number one, don't get your news from Facebook or Twitter <laughs> or TikTok or any other social media. Rule number two, find a, a publication or a media entity that doesn't have a dog in the hunt, which is easier to do from the 30,000-foot view. You're not going to get as detailed reporting, but say there's something that's a hot-button issue in the halls of Congress. Find out what they're saying on BBC or Sky News or Indian News or NHK out of Japan. Great. Or heck, even Al Jazeera. Very, it's very good, actually. Because you're going to get a much more level view of it, a lot less personal bias. Because it's this. It'd be like having personal bias about the. Harry and Meghan stuff as an American. Yeah, there are some Americans that are really bought into, oh, I got to read Harry's new tell all book. But do you really have much personal bias against or for former royalty? So it wouldn't appear in reporting. Same thing with the BBC or Sky or NHK or any of those. Daily Mail. You're, you're going to get an outsider's perspective. That's a good foundation to build on. No political agenda. I think it's the reason. Larry and Mize, do you really think any of our reps in D.C. are true conservatives? I can't answer that, Larry, until you define for me what, in your view, in your mind, makes someone a, quote, true conservative. Because there's no consensus on that either. We can talk about that tomorrow. Good question. There was also a question about, uh, on the ceasefire, why do you think Senators Cotton and Wicker both voted for the omnibus bill? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Super Talk Outdoors up next. Stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.